So now we welcome on Talking Giants co-host Justin Pennock. He does Talking Giants podcast with Bobby Skinner on Tuesdays and Fridays, which is available on iTunes. How's everything going, Justin? Oh, Alex, it's going great. Um, draft week was a lot of fun. Draft weekend was a lot of fun. Uh, prepping was a lot of fun as well. But also, what's most fun, we're having a lot of fun, is that our football team is a lot better. Now, Alex, I have to ask you a question first. Sure. I have to ask you a question first. Uh, we're, we're kind of we're throwing off the dynamic. It's uh, a discussion, so it goes you, back and forth. <laughs> how interviews usually go. Yeah. Now, I ask this in the most fun-loving nature way. I had a show called Bleeding Blue. Yeah. Now, when you wanted when you wanted to start your show, did you have originally the name Bleeding Blue all pan, all panned out? But then you were like, darn. What, see, what happened was, is I wanted to find a name. That was like, you know, I wanted to make sure that a lot, that nobody had the same name. I know there's Bleed Big Blue and then there's your, there's your Bleed uh, Blue with uh, David Powers, I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just made sure that I didn't want to copy off anyone. That's, you know, that's the most important part. Yeah. But I love the alliteration though. I, I'm yeah. a big fan of alliteration. The three Bs. I love it. Yeah. All right, first question. Obviously, we had draft weekend this weekend. What would you give the uh, Giants grade for the 2020 draft class? And depending on player development, do you think that Dave Gettleman could use this to try to stay in the Giants front office? Uh, Yes. Uh, So I'll answer kind of like your second question first. Yes. And the grade that I give it, it's tough, obviously. You know, it's tough when you're not Mm -hmm. stepping foot on the football field yet. But if we're talking about players that we expect to perform possibly this year – we're particularly looking at rounds one through five where we're saying, eh, maybe not round three with Matt Pert, but particularly with Lemieux, Darnay Holmes, McKinney, and Andrew Thomas, we're looking at those players and we're saying those players can kind of be good quality starters. They're good quality football players, especially when you look at Lemieux when he was picked in round five, when we're just talking about the value of the pick in round five and we possibly have a day one starter, possibly. Uh, but the value that we got from this draft and just good quality overall football players, round six through seven, a uh, little bit different story. We still need to watch a little bit more of round six through seven on Talking Giants end. Um, a lot of those picks we don't really know, but you're picking for upside in those picks anyway. Give me a grade. I'll give you a grade. I'm going. I'm going A minus. I'm going A minus to B plus. I know some teachers. Some teachers like to do the cop out thing where they do A minus slash B plus. When they, and they can't decide what grade to give. So I'm going to do the same thing. A minus slash B plus. There were some players on like my own personal board that I would have liked to maybe get in round six and seven. But you want to know what? We got good quality football players in rounds one through five, and that's what you kind of like the most. I know. I uh, was watching your broadcast on the day three, and I know you wanted Derek Tuska, Derek Tuska and uh, then he went to the Broncos. He, he was another player I wanted. The, uh, solid edge. We had... Yeah, we had the Mr. Irrelevant pick, and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This guy was like, he was projected to maybe go around five and six. It's going to happen. And then the pick before us, I believe, was the Denver Broncos, and yeah. they took him, and they, like, broke my heart. So uh, I, I was I was a big fan of his. But the thing is, is that, you know, we don't know, compared to maybe rounds, you know, one, two, three, we don't really know a lot of these around six and seven guys unless you're like a really knee deep into the scouting game. So that's why I'm not going to be super critical of those players. Um, but they certainly did stack up on defense with some of those later draft picks. And that's kind of like what we, we needed. We just need some more bodies on defense. And they certainly did that in the back end of the draft. Now, from first impressions, I know you can't tell a lot because they haven't stepped on the field yet. Do you think this maybe would have been uh, Gettleman's best draft? Ooh, Gettleman's best draft. If we're talking, again, if we're talking value, I'm a big fan of value. I know a lot of people associate that term with maybe some analytics stuff, and I'm kind of a fan of analytics. I'm kind of a fan of that side of the game uh, and looking deeper into that. and But again, just looking at value, especially McKinney kind of changes the draft. McKinney is that guy that really changes the complexion of this draft um, because he was probably a guy that the Giants had a round one grade on. And the fact that he fell to the early part of the second round, and he's a jack of all trades. He's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, I think a lot of people are maybe expecting him to come in field safety, but that's just not totally his strength. His strength is more in the box. Um, that guy kind of changes this entire draft where we got a ton, a ton of good value from that spot. We drafted with our first pick. Um, V. 
the second most important position in all of football with the left tackle. And then we even addressed tackle again in the third round. So again, just we, we kind of matched value and need and we married them. So it's not like we're talking about a controversial, a controversial pick like Barkley. We're running back. You take him second overall. That's controversial because are you really matching value and need? They maybe had the native for Barkley, but the value maybe wasn't there. So this draft, they did that perfectly. So was it one of his best? Gosh, you put me on the spot. Um, I'm going to say yes, because you it was an investment in Jones, and that's exactly what they needed to do, and they did it. Uh, a lot of people say that Darnay Holmes could play the slot of the nickel. I know a lot of people were not so happy about that pick because Nick Harris and Tyler Biedes were still on the board and the Giants needed to center. They did draft Shane Lemieux in the fifth round, though. Uh, with his play possibly in the slot in the nickel, do you think he gives Corey Ballantyne and Grant Haley a challenge? And would that result in one of them going at the end of the preseason? I would say it means more. Like We were talking on the uh, on Talking Giants about you know McKinney, Holmes, Love, Peppers, and, you know, where do these guys fit? Where is everybody going to fit? Because it, it's a fun conversation, and I hope the coaching staff kind of does have an idea on where these guys do fit. Hope they do. You would think they do if they took the player, especially both of those guys. Think it Haley. Rather than looking at all those other guys like Ballantyne, Beal, I think it means more for Grant Haley um, because Ballantyne and Beal aren't really slot guys. I really do think the 2019 Giants simply just had to throw them into the slot and throw them into that nickel spot because Grant Haley was so bad, <laughs> because he was so bad, and because they just could not keep him out there any longer. I think they did have to just throw them out there, even though they are outside corners. And they are kind of two different positions, slot corner and outside corner, almost two different positions. So I think the Holmes uh, pick means more for Grant Haley, where he possibly may not be on the team. However, remember, we don't really have a formal backup strong safety. Maybe you can consider McKinney as a backup strong safety who can also play free, but we don't really have a formal backup strong safety, and Grant Haley may be able to do that because of how good he was in the box and how good he was in the run game last year. So he may still have some value, just not at slot corner. Uh, I expected, and many fans expected this year, for the Giants to take a wide receiver, whether it be Chase Claypool or add a number four wide receiver. However, they did pick up some good UDFAs from Ohio State and LSU. And one of my favorites still on the roster is Reggie White Jr. Now, do you think at the end of the preseason, the Giants, uh, do you think that they come out with two UDFAs on the roster, or are they going to pick somebody up from the waiver wire? You know what? That's a good question, because I forgot about old Reggie White Jr. You know, it was the big the big storyline was two things. You know, you had, you had Odell Beckham Jr.'s numbers, so you're carrying yeah. a storyline just when you're carrying that number. But number two... You mentioned David Powers, how he's the co-host of Bleeding Blue. Reggie White Jr.'s family for every single preseason game, so the two preseason, two preseason games that we had, David Powers would sit in his family section, and they it, it was the Reggie White Reggie White Jr. fan club. Um, so I'm you know we're kind of I'm kind of rooting for him, especially since I sat with David for for some time in the preseason, got to see his family, very nice family. We told him we were rooting for him, and we were rooting for him on the podcast. So. Could the I mean, that's very possible. I like Benjamin Victor. It's not Benjamin Victor. It's Benjamin with an I. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and then there's ben, a, ben, yeah. yeah, Benjamin Victor. So he's 6'4". He's got to add some muscle mass. You hope that he's working on that. You know, hey, it's quarantine. Go eat some pasta every day. So hopefully he adds some muscle mass because he's a little under, I believe, 200 pounds, even though he is 6'4". But he's a big play machine. I like, again, value. I like the value of Benjamin Victor in a deep wide receiver class. He went undrafted, and the Giants found a way to get him off the board uh, or to sign him in the un- on the uh, in the free agent pool there. And they also drafted you know six seven guy from Canada. So I can see them going into the uh, again getting guys that maybe come off of other teams for wide receiver since we didn't fully address that in the draft. We had to go into the free agent pool to address it. I can see that. But if these guys can wow in camp, and in camp, hopefully there is camp, if these guys can wow in camp, especially these big body guys, the Giants, their, their tallest wide receiver since Cody Latimer's gone was 6'1". I believe Darius Slayton is only 6'1". So we need those big bodies. So if they can perform, they're going to be on the team. But I also, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants uh, sought out talent elsewhere towards the end, or towards the end of the preseason. Uh, Giants obviously drafted... 
heavy at the O-line position. Dave Yellman wants to fix it once and for all. He took three linemen in the first five rounds. He took Thomas at four, Pert at 99, and Lemieux at 150. Do you think the Giants start Thomas right away at right tackle and then midseason move move Solder to the bench, move Thomas to left tackle, maybe give Pert some time at right tackle? I would hope not. And I would hope not. I, I think the Giants are in trouble if we're ever at a point, even if it's to start the season, if we're ever at a point where we're saying that Andrew Thomas um, is not ready to play left tackle. And that's not necessarily because, oh, Andrew Thomas would be a bad football player. But I just think you look at what's such a detrimental part of the 2019 season, and that detrimental part was Nate Solder. He was such a detrimental part of that season. He would cost points. He would cost drives. He would be the single, single-handedly single why Daniel Jones would fumble the ball at times. And I understand the off-field circumstances, but I'm rooting for Nate Solder. You root for the guys in blue. The best version of the 2020 New York football Giants is Andrew Thomas at left tackle and a good veteran or to average veteran presence, Nate Solder, at right tackle. And I'm kind of not for this whole argument of because we need to protect Andrew Thomas – we should put him at right tackle for the whole year and then slide him over to left tackle for the next year. I'm very much for, and it's kind of a similar arts argument, go and get those physical reps. Don't like, don't hold somebody back. I'm kind of for throwing him into the fire. This guy is not, he's not even Andrew Flowers, but this guy's not even a project like Matt Pert. Matt Pert, I'm not saying throw him into the fire. Like, I, I'm, that's not my same argument for him. But for Andrew Thomas, if you view him as your franchise left tackle, because we also don't have another good alternative, you have to kind of throw him into the fire day one uh, and hope he can and hope he can survive, which I think he can. He was the best left tackle in this year's draft. You can argue he was the best tackle in this year's draft. And you have to trust your evaluation. You have to trust the player. Well, if he wasn't ready and they put him in right tackle, I would – Blame that on the coaching staff, and I don't know what his readiness would be, but uh, certainly if they did what a lot of people say they want to do, placing him at right tackle, for left tackle, you would at least have to give him the experience, you know, let him struggle in the first year, and then acclimate the second year, and then you got a blindside blocker. I mean, wh- where are the Giants going this year? Yeah, uh, that that would be the point of, and I think people's argument against that is that, oh, it, it ruins a right if you just throw him at left tackle and he struggles but if you're a guy who struggles your your rookie year and you totally lose confidence in yourself as a football player you're right that kind of is on coaching and then also that's not that's not the kind of football player you want on your franchise anyway if you if you struggle for a little bit and you know the and the nfl learning curve is just so large that you can't you can't compose yourself and get ready to rock and roll in years two three four and beyond so i'm Throw, throw him in there. Let's see it. Andrew Thomas, we drafted the same thing with Daniel Jones. You drafted the guy to be your franchise quarterback. Let's see him rock and roll. He pretty much played an entire season. It worked out well. Same thing with Andrew Thomas. Let's see him rock and roll. Uh, follow-up question upon the offensive line. Uh, a lot of center options right now for the Giants. They got Shane Lemieux, who Joe Judge says he's going to work at guard. He's going to work at center. You have Nick Gates, who still hasn't really snapped in the NFL yet, but he's been working at guard and tackle. Then you got reserve lineman Spencer Pulley. Do you start Spencer Pulley week one, and then maybe midseason shift to Shane Lemieux? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. That's a tough one because I think we were kind of in a similar situation with Brett Jones and Jalapio, except when you say Brett Jones and Jalapio, I would say these three are a lot, a lot, a little bit more of a of talented football players than those two. So Jalapia wind up winning, winning the job, and then Brett Jones wound up getting traded to the Minnesota Vikings. I think we may see a little bit of a similar thing done with Pulley, because I just think the depth is, is there on this offensive line, especially considering that you have Fleming. And Nick Gates can play guard, too. He lined up as a guard in the preseason last year, so he played tackle, guard, and he's been taking snaps at center, and the front office did not rule out that he could play center. So, And he also did like Bobby Skinner's tweet where he flat out asked him, hey, have you been snapping a ball? I saw like that. The tweet. I saw that. <laughs> so, so good investigative journalists that we're doing a that we're doing a talking giants. But anyway, you may see Pulley be a guy that's like you know what contracts contracts doesn't get just flat out cut. 
Um, maybe he gets traded for like a six-round pick. I don't know. Not sure. But Lemieux's definitely not going anywhere. He could be a guy that could play up both guard and center. Versatility, something that this, something that Joe Judge clearly likes. He likes his guy that are he likes his guys that are versatile. So Shane Lemieux could be a guy that could possibly step in and play guard or center if Hernandez, uh, your starting center, or just flat out wins this day one center job because he has play strength. Something that Gates and something that tackles typically lack. Maybe if you move them to the inside. You always see the interior offensive linemen that they're bench pressing more and that they're, they're just flat out stronger. So what we need and the, for this Giants offensive line and what we've lacked these last few years, we've lacked an anchor. We've lacked a guy that's, that just has incredible play strength in the middle of that offensive line. And Lemieux can certainly bring that. Gates can bring maybe a little bit more of the finesse game. He has the good footwork. And who knows? Maybe he is. Maybe he can bring that anchor and be that and have that play strength. But gosh, this is it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun camp battles. Uh, I would hope that they wouldn't make a move in the middle of the year. But if it's necessary, again, a lot of moving parts, you may need to bench Nate Solder. And if you bench Nate Solder, Gates is – no, but then you also have Fleming. I would say Gates is a better right tackle option than Fleming. And then you would have Lemieux or Pulley step up at center. But I don't think they're keeping all three. You, I don't think they're keeping Gates, Lemieux, and Pulley, and I think that leaves Pulley being the, the odd guy out where he either gets cut or he gets traded for like a sixth-round pick. Now, both Lemieux and Gates are young guys. If they put Lemieux at center at the end of the season or whatever, do you think Gates is a long-term right guard option after Zeitler's gone? Could be. Could be. The thing that you love about Gates, I almost feel like he's too good. He's too good and he's too versatile to just continue being like this this bench depth option. I feel like he's too good. He's kind of, whenever he's had the opportunity, whether it is the preseason or whether it was against the Jets, and when, you know, Zeitler was hurt and he would step in. So you feel like he's too good of an option. Um, and it's certainly it competition. Competition is going to be the main theme of this offensive line, especially post, even just post-2020 and heading into 2021. Because you're going to have hurt going up against Gatefold that as Zeitler you know winds down you know gets winds down in his career you might even have Zeitler versus Gates at some point and then once Zeitler heads out Gates may sort of guard that's actually that's actually a really good idea that I never even thought of um you could have Lemieux you could have Lemieux start at guard depending on if they find a center maybe in next year's draft so it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you think of all of the different alternatives that the Giants have it off into line right now and that is a good problem and then tell me When's the last time that we had a good problem on this Giants offensive line? It's it's been a while. It's it's definitely been a while. That's what I would say. Uh, one guy from ninety eight seven ESPN. This is a opinion question. Said that he would rather have the draft that we did this year with Goodell just saying the cards off from his house than actually fans screaming, yelling at arenas. Would you prefer the old way, where, you know, you have the fan reaction, everybody booing Goodell? Would you do more quiet like this year? You know what? I will admit, as a content creator, and as someone who live-streamed for over 13 hours this past weekend, I liked the pace. It seemed to move a little bit faster. But as a fan, I mean, you know, because we're, 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 think, we're thinking of this as fans. We're all football yeah. fans. There's nothing better than, you know, sitting back, especially night one. Especially night one when you have Goodell up there and the player, you see the players have that moment if they're present at the draft and if they choose to be there. Um, they have that They have that moment with Goodell. They have that moment with the jerseys. They have their moment with the hat. And that's a moment that you save as fans. You're your, player, your player holding your jersey, your new franchise player, and they're up and they're, they're holding their number one jersey. That's a moment and that's a picture that you save for, your, for an entire lifetime. You know, how many times do is the is the highlight of Daniel Jones the fact that he was picked and LPG's reaction? Uh, I think LPG was just more shocked than anything that they picked Jones. Uh, I don't think he was necessarily upset, but how many times is that LPG reaction showed where he has his hands on top of his head because he was expecting Josh Allen? So I you, you I like that. Maybe here's my proposal. Here's my proposal, and I understand this would be less of a money maker for the act for the actual city itself, but. In a perfect world, in Justin's perfect world, we have night one of the draft. It's done in person. It's done. Goodell's up there, and the, the players get to go up there. They get to have that moment with their, you know, at, you know, with their new franchise. The fans get to see it as well. But then 
days next to, and it's done kind of like in the in the quicker, more efficient way. I kind of I kind of like that proposal, even though that would never would happen. But it's just it's perfect world. Okay, uh, Stephen A. Smith said earlier that the Giants didn't have a good draft with the first pick because he thought Simmons was a better pick. He thought Wills was better because a lot of people say that he was better. Uh, critics and scouts saying that. And then Beckton because he mauls players. Now, this t- this person who tweeted his um, what he said reacted to him and said that Beckton is a much bigger project. Would you agree on that one? Yes. Yes. I don't think we're having the same excitement conversation if, let's just say we traded back. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. you're not taking, now here's the thing, you're flat out not taking a project and a prospect like Mackay Becton at four. You're just not. You feel better at taking Andrew Thomas, who is much more of a surefire pick. You feel more fine with that of taking him at four. But let's just say if we traded back with the Raiders at 12, right? And a lot of fans, they wanted, a lot of fans wanted to trade back because they just flat out don't feel that taking an offensive tackle or taking an offensive lineman at four is worth it. And sure, let's say we do that. Let's say we trade back to like 12 with the Raiders who have multiple first-round picks and uh, Twitter GMs get what they want. Then we're in a position where we're picking Austin Jackson. And that's not good. (laughs) That's not good. Uh, Austin Jackson and Eric Flowers right now, you know that Spider-Man meme where... Oh, oh yeah, other. I saw that. I saw that. And it happened, it happened so much because Austin Jackson's probably going to be playing left tackle for the Dolphins and Eric Flowers is going to be at left guard. So that's not going to be good for him, depending on how Flowers plays at guard. They're, that's my that's my big joke, that they're, that they're both in the Spider-Man costume and when they both show up to the Dolphins facility, whenever day one is for them, they're both going to be pointing at each other and saying, are you me? Am I you? So that would have been bad. That would have been bad. Again, not meeting value and need, uh, picking a guy like Becton or even trading back and then winding and then losing out on a good player um, like Andrew Thomas or even Jedrick Wills, uh, that would have been bad. Even though you would have garnered more picks and you would have got some more players, that still would have been bad because you would not have fully have acknowledged the value and the need that left tackle was. And it is the second most important position in the game of football. So that's something that Stephen A. Smith is forgetting. I can also imagine... And I'm not going to fault like national people for this, but national national people that cover that cover sports and all of sports, not even forget just like football. Mm-hmm. National media members they don't watch the same film that even some of us fans do, or even if you're a fan that maybe doesn't even watch a lot of film, you still analyze. We're still all reading about these guys. We're still just analyzing. Well, what we do, do more do research well? than they do. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the crazy thing. So even though everybody, hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people are listening to a guy like Stephen A. Smith on what he thinks about the Giants pick, especially because Stephen A. Smith is so closely associated to New York with the Knicks, he's not doing the same preparation that even the casual fan is of the New York football Giants. So Andrew Thomas was certainly the most pro-ready prospect. He was the best athlete. Um, he was the smoothest tackle. And this is just tackle as a whole. Worfs was very good in space, but he was not just the smoothest. He wasn't the smoothest tackle. He was good in space, and that's why a lot of people think he can be good at guard. Because imagine Worfs in space just pulling, pulling left and right all the time. That's going to be pretty fun to see if he can make that conversion over to guard. But Thomas was just so smooth, and Wills was more of a technician, so he was a little bit more choppy. He was a little bit more robotic. And because Thomas is such a good natural athlete as a tackle, not just a guy that moves out in space in his 40-yard time, but he's a good, smooth athlete in the way that a left tackle and the way that a tackle needs to operate. That That's why people say, and that's why that's the logic behind Andrew Thomas has more of an upside compared to any other of these tackles because of how smooth of an athlete he is, and he can fix the little things that maybe he has wrong with this game. So, Stephen, I could not disagree more with Stephen A. Smith because if we were to take Isaiah Simmons, again, Good, you got a good player. We would have been happy with it. We would have talked ourselves into it, but it wouldn't have been matching up value and need and the marrying those two things together. Now, my thing with Jedrick Wills, another Giants fan mentioned this to me, that, oh, he protected to his blind side, but he's still the right tackle position. Now, if you would have selected him at four, you would have had to get a left tackle probably in the second or the third round, which has less value than 
Andrew Thomas would. So you would probably have to pick Austin Jackson if he was still there, uh, Josh Jones, or maybe that uh, guy from Auburn, Prince Tago, want to go. I think I'm saying that right. Now, would you really want less value with the left tackle position, the blindside blocker for your franchise quarterback? I wouldn't. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I mean, I talked myself into Will's pre-draft. Number one, number one, because Bobby Skinner was such an Andrew Thomas guy. So for good radio, I'm like, Judge of Will's. But also, Will's, you know, there's still an argument out there that Judge Will's is the when you look at tackles as a whole, not just not just a right tackle or a left tackle, when you look at tackles as a whole, there is an argument that says Jedrick Wills is the best tackle because he has the best technique, he has the best footwork, and his punch is incredible. His punch just jolts dudes, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see on how that translates to the pro level. But you're right, you know, he would have to be a guy that would, that would start at right tackle day one because you just can't ask him to transition, uh, especially only being 6'4". Uh, it's not even like you have Matt Pert, who's six seven, <laughs> and he was a right tackle. Uh, Wills was six four, and I understand the whole thing if he protected to his blind side, but still the pass sets. Uh, it's just so much different when you go to the right to the left side. Uh, Jedrick, um, Tristan Wirth said uh, pre-draft that switching from left tackle to right tackle because he actually did that a few times while at Iowa. He said it's like switching the hand that you wipe your butt with, uh, that you wipe your ass with, uh, <laughs> with toilet paper. He's like, it's like switching that. It's just not natural. So it would have been one year, one whole year, where you're like, okay, Nate Solder, you're our left tackle, and that would have been bad. Wills would have been your right tackle, and then you would hope that the transition over to left tackle for 2021 would be the ideal thing if Wills was a giant. But Andrew Thomas is a giant, and I kind of like that a little bit more. I like that a little more, too. Uh, one thing to point out as we're having this discuss- discussion about right tackle and left tackle, Jedrick Wills is going to have to actually probably play left tackles because, remember, the brown side, Jack Coughlin. <laughs> Isn't that, like, one of the underrated stories of the draft? And I kind of Nobody feel talks like about Giants it. Fan- <laughs> I kind of even feel like Giants fans who kind of like to slander on the Browns, they kind of like to slander on Baker, and they kind of like to throw some shade here and there at, uh, at Odell. Isn't that kind of wild that they did that? <laughs> That's really wild that they, that they did because what are they going to do? So I would be shocked. Now, I, would, I wouldn't put it past them, but I would be shocked if they are asking Wills to make that transition. I would say they, they're saying, Conklin, you're the, you're the veteran. You're the veteran guy. You're the guy that's going to be making that transition. So I, I would be shocked if they ask Wills to do that. But you know what? They could go with the whole point that everybody else has had. That way, Wills, you protect the blind side, so all you got to do is just switch up your footwork a little bit to the left side, even though it's not that easy. Uh, switching out of defense for a little bit, uh, we've seen some new faces on the defense this year. Patrick Graham is the new coordinator. James Betcher ran a 3-4 hybrid system the last two years. A uh, little different with Patrick Graham. Now with new additions like James Bradbury and Xavier McKinney, I think the difference between these two creative defenses is now you have Xavier McKinney. You know, you got playmakers now. You just don't have flappy guys coming over from Arizona. You actually have playmakers now. Do you agree? Yeah. <laughs> That's from Green Bay coming over. Who, who, who was um, Patrick Graham was the former linebackers coach in Green Bay a couple years ago. So there's still some familiarity. But I kind of like uh, the familiarity of Kyler Fackrell and Blake Martinez versus uh, Kareem Martin and Antoine Bethea. I, I kind of like that familiarity from Arizona uh, versus Arizona and then Green Bay this year. So, But, yeah, you mentioned McKinney, and he's a playmaker. Now, I mentioned McKinney. I, I'm going to go back to McKinney because it's such an interesting conversation. I know you maybe want to talk about some other guys, and please ask me about some other guys. But I think McKinney just changes this whole defense. And every rose has its thorn, and that's the kind of like the, the cliché phrase that I've used about McKinney and the metaphor that I've used about him because the thorn about McKinney is that he's not a, he's not solely a single high safety and what did the Giants need you know when looking at Julian Love who could be your slot corner and Jabril Peppers who can be who can be your strong safety slash in the box safety we needed kind of like this single high free safety well we didn't exactly get that McKinney can do it but he can really only cover half of a field when you're asking him to cover the entirety of a field He's hesitant to, to really follow the quarterback's eyes, and he's hesitant to really make plays. And God forbid a receiver would ever catch the ball over the top of the, the quarterback can't make the ball carrier. McKinney would not be able to get there in time to make a play on the ball carrier, just save six points and to save a, you know, a wide receiver that's running deep down the seam 
over the middle of the field or by the sidelines. So he struggled playing single high safety. Doesn't mean he can't do it. He could develop and he can do it. But his strength and his strength is just in the box and his ability to make plays in the intermediate passing game and just in the run game in general. So he changes what he what the Giants defense can do as a whole because you could put him at free safety and you can ask him to cover half of the field. Jabril Peppers does have that range. A lot of you know, I'm trusting that when you know people that I work closely with, like Anthony Tomano of the Talking Giants team, when he tells me that Jabril Peppers has the range to play free safety, I'm going to trust him. He he's a very natural athlete. I can I think we can trust Jabril Peppers at free safety at times. He even did it in Cleveland a little bit. So we'll have to go back and we'll have to watch that Cleveland tape to see how he did uh, back then. So versatile. Versatile is the name of the game. Versatile playmakers. So, the, you know, the rose with McKinney is that he can do very good things in the inter- intermediate game. And the rose is is that it's not just a box. You're, we're not just, okay, uh, let's just say we took Antoine Winfield. Okay, Winfield is going to be our deep center field safety. Uh, Peppers is going to be our strong safety. Love is going to be our slot corner. Okay, everybody go. No, it's going to be multiple. It's going to be versatile. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be a challenge for this coaching staff. But if they do it right, it's going to be beautiful. Well, I tell you what, Giants fans are hoping that when McKinney does go out deep, and if he does go out deep, that he gives us a better product than Anton Vithay last year. Yeah, not not that not that difficult to do. So yeah. <laughs> that's the whole. Now, obviously, today the Giants play, placed a uh, I think that is unrestricted tag or something like that on uh, Marcus Golden. Um. Do you still believe, even bo- even before he was re-signed, do you, Dave Gettleman expressed that you can have multiple guys rush in the past? Do you think do you think that they still need a number one guy, or do you think that they could go rotational as they want to do? I think they're just going to have to go rotational. Um, now, Golden's not technically back yet. It's, it's like this thing of if he's unsigned past July 22nd, the only team that he would be able to play for is the Giants. If somehow Marcus Golden remains unsigned past July 22nd, he's you know, the Giants are the only team that he could actually play for. Now, the Patriots did the same thing to LeGarrette Blunt a couple years ago, but he wound up signing with the Lions. I would be shocked if we're at a point where July 22nd is getting close to training camp. I think he, I think teams might start camp that you know, that week, 24th, whatever that Monday would be in late July, the second to last week in July or the final week in July, that's when teams usually start camping. If Marcus Golden is not, a, is not on a football team by then, um, that's that's kind of – it's. I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked. But, but you know, it's funny. Field Yates in the, in the actual tweet, he spelled Marcus Golden wrong. He spelled, he spelled it with Marcus a C. Golden with, the, with a C and not a K. What are you doing, Field Yates? Be good at your job. No. But it's going to have to be multiple. To answer your question, um, Genevion Clowney ain't coming knocking on our door. So we're going to have to rely on a big step up from Ocean Ximenez. Uh, we're going to have to really rely on a big step, uh, including from Marcus Golden, if he is a giant, which I'm praying for. Uh, Kyler Fackrell, uh, he's a guy that actually didn't get a ton of pass rushing opportunities because both last Smiths. year in Green Bay. Yeah, because of, the, because of both Smiths, right. So what they had him doing is they would have him lining up like in the A-gap on like third downs, and also he would only come in on third down. So either he'd be lined up on the edge or he'd be lined up in the A-gap, and the amount of times where he would drop back into coverage, it boggled my mind because Fackrell is such a good pass rusher. He is a good pass rusher that has a few different various moves, and that's exciting. So they had him dropping back into coverage, and he would only come in on third down as like a pass rushing specialist that wasn't a pass rushing specialist. Um so I thought that was kind of funny to see that 2019 film on Fackrell in Green Bay. But in 2018, he would be lined up consistently, and he got a lot more snaps as a pass rusher, and the productivity was there. So we are hoping for some production and for some unexpected production out of some of these guys that are on the Giants right now, and we're hoping for Golden to possibly come back. But we're also hoping for a much better secondary that allows us more time to get to the quarterback. And that is the most important part of the Giants' 2020 season when we're talking about the defensive side of the ball. Can this secondary hold up enough and not allow these big deep plays down the field, but can they hold up long enough to give this average pass rush time to get to the quarterback? 
Uh, G-Man Headquarters on Twitter said that the Giants should cut bait with Nate Solder and just cap his dead rather than keeping him on the roster soon to be replaced by Andrew Thomas and sitting on the bench with the $19 million cap hit. Do you uh, agree with that statement that they should just cut bait with him? I've gone back and forth because draft weekend, you know, when you're a little loopy and it's Saturday night and it's late and you're still off of the high of, oh, we drafted Andrew Thomas and you've been streaming for 13 hours. I was like, yes, do it. Like, let's get Marcus Golden back. Uh, We have guys to compete, but you know what? I've calmed down and I've kind of thought about things. Root for the guys in blue. That's what we do as fans. No matter what you think about a player, no matter how much you poo-poo on a certain player, root for the guys in blue. And a good to average Nate Solder at right tackle is the best option for the New York football giants in 2020. I really do believe that. I really do. Um, Obviously, if Nick Gates beats him out, you know, good for Nick Gates. He won the battle. And I hope the coaching staff would be able to see that and make that determination and not just start Solder for the sake of him making $20 million because you really feel like you need to make that worth it in whatever kind of way. So, but in my humble opinion, you know, even I love Nick Gates, and this is me saying that I love Nick Gates, and maybe he gets to start at center, but a good right tackle, Nate Solder, who is a veteran presence, is a good thing for this football team in 2020 at right tackle. Giants signed Deion Lewis last month. And then they signed Rod Smith in 2019, which didn't work out because I think he had a concussion and was cut in the preseason. Do you think the Giants are trying to run with three running backs, or are they trying to get Wayne Gallman out of here? Oh, oh, this uh, this Javon Leak kid from Maryland. That's going to be the guy that's going to change everything. That's going to be the guy that kind of changes everything because obviously Lewis is here to stay, and you like Deion Lewis because specifically he's a pass catcher. He's a guy that's coming on third down. He's a guy that can. Um, you know, uh, relinquish Barkley of some duties from time to time. So you, you like the certain versatile things you can get from Deion Lewis. But Javon Leak, he's going to be a guy that's going to come in and he's going to be a guy that's going to be knocking on Wayne Gallman's door. Because not only Javon Leak, is he a big play guy, he has limited carries as well, which if you if you want, if you're asking me, I'm a guy that kind of devalues the running back position if I didn't make that clearer, clearer early in the episode. Um, I'm a guy that kind of devalues the running back position and I want big play guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, but also coming out of college, limited carries. Very limited carries Javon League has coming out of college, so I like that. I think that's like, oh, you got all the upside of the world for me if you don't have a lot of tread on your legs uh, coming out of college. So, Gallman has, he would have to show something spectacular in camp, and he would have to blow away this coaching staff, because uh, I don't think they're going to carry four running backs, including the fact that Elijah Penny is on this football team, and he can be a running back, God willing, you know, God forbid, if we ever get to that point, kind of like we did last year, yeah. where he was running the ball in New England. We don't want to see that again, but uh, with him on the team, you kind of do have four uh, four running backs, and I think Leak kind of should be that guy to be that third guy because he's such an explosive playmaker. He His yards per attempt last year was insane, if you want to look it up. Um I think it was like around seven, like seven or eight. Don't quote me on it. And he also has uh, the potential to return kicks as well, which Gallman cannot. So, hey, if you if you if you can do multiple things within your role and you can make yourself worth it at the bottom of the roster, um, you might have a better chance of making it than Gallman if you're Javon Leak. Uh, New York media has criticized Joe Judge for supposedly trying to be or act like Bill Belichick without the rings. Now, what are your thoughts on that statement, or do you think he's trying to put a, together a culture? This is this is the thing that I've had trouble with. Like, uh, you know, Bobby Skinner has been like so on board with like, yes, this defense is going to be versatile, and all these things that Joe Judge is saying, um, and all the things that you know we're preaching right now. Um, it's it's nice, and I love it. I'm so behind it. I'm so behind it. But I'm still at this point where it's like, show me it on the football field, um, in order for me, it, like before I'm like fully like, yes, I'm totally 100% bought in. I love it. It's a much better like message and a must much better like theme of this franchise of where we're going compared to in years past where it just was like oh we're gonna go home go about our business um i think we had uh, i think it was probably bobby that went back and rewatched pat Shermer's initial press conference from when he was hired compared that to joe judge's press conference and they were laughing they were having a good time the reporters were let la- you know they were giving 
jokes and whatnot. And that was not Joe Judge's initial press conference. Complete opposite. It was, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm rocking and rolling. I'm about smart, fundamental football. I'm about hitting hard. I'm hitting it. Hitting. We're going to play in pads. I'm like, oh, I love that. But um, if it doesn't work, I mean, this is the thing. And this, this is the thing that the, na- the, the points that the national media are making when they're saying if it doesn't work, it's going to be bad and it's going to look bad. That's very true. But some, some people in the national media that are making jokes just about Oh, Joe Judge is a special teams coach that just doesn't that just refuses to name players on his roster. I can live with that with that stupid idiotic tweet and that stupid idiotic observation. Like I can live without that. But if the Giants win, this guy's going to be held up as held up as he, as as the king of New York. But if they lose, this is going to backfire back at him, and I would not want to be him if that's the case. Now, Evan Ingram has not started a full season yet. But Jabril Peppers also got injured midseason last year, and you could kind of rely more on Jabril Peppers than you can Evan Ingram in certain cases. A lot of talk about Evan Ingram being traded. Do you think the Giants should pick up their fifth-year options? It, yes, unless somebody comes in and blows you away with an offer for Ingram, would not offer that for Peppers. I think Peppers is too valuable to this football team. He had a really, really good 2019, especially in coverage. Peppers is 2019 was the best that he had in his entire career, mostly because I think you said you got him settled in one position. So that's something to talk about as time goes on too, because in Cleveland they had him playing in multiple spots and it just wasn't good. So that's something to talk about. In terms of Ingram, unless a team has blown you away with a, with a nice little offer, like I would have taken, I would have definitely taken the thirty first pick if the 49ers chose to offer that. Like it was rumored. I don't know if it actually the 49ers were actually thinking about doing that. But I know the Bay Area uh, NBC Sports page was was saying how the 49ers might be interested in Engram. But, I mean, picking up the fifth-year option, you know, it's not like you're talking about, you know, extending a guy for another two, three, four years. It's a fifth-year option that's ultimately a, a, a benefit and a bonus of taking a guy in the first round and not picking up that option and just letting a guy walk in free agency and not really getting anything back for him. Um, I think that would be kind of a, a bad move. Even if you don't sign Evan Engram back to a long-term deal, which I would understand. If, it was, if, if Evan Engram's contract was up tomorrow, I don't think I would sign him back for a long-term deal. But for the fifth-year option, that's part of the benefit of taking a guy for, for, you know, in the first round that you can get that. So um, I'm for it. Pick up both their options. Uh, another public opinion question. Uh, G-Men headquarters brought this up on Twitter. That many Giants beat writers said the pick was going to be offensive tackle, but it's, it was going to be Werfs, it was going to be Wills. And the Giants picked Thomas at four, and he now claims that the beat media is rather untrustworthy and that we shouldn't be listening to them and that all their t- all their talk is hogwash. Do you agree with that statement? I'm not going to go as far to just say that it's, that it's hogwash, but I will say this cycle and this cycle for the draft it showed us something about beat reporters a little bit but it also showed us something about the giants and how often has it been hours before the draft and the odds drastically are changing for las vegas in favor of a certain player and that favor and and that player is the actual pick and he was the favorite at the time because the giants have had a problem of a leaker Picks have been leaked the last couple years, and I think even going back to the Barkley pick, and that's when I really started following the Giants very in-depth. But going back to the Barkley pick, that pick was leaked a few hours from the draft, and I think people just kind of refused to believe it. Oh, that's a smokescreen. No, it was leaked. Uh, Jones, that pick was leaked. Oh, but that's just a smokescreen. No, it wasn't wasn't a smokescreen. That was the pick. This year, nothing. Radio silence, and I love that. I absolutely love that. They might have given people the impression that Wirfs was their number one tackle, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm making videos on social media where Wirfs is crossing up his feet. I'm making videos of Wirfs and how his feet are just too close together, and he's kind of relying on his play strength, which he has. But I'm like, oh, my God, they, they can't really be evaluating Wirfs. I'm like, I'm fine with either Wills or Thomas, but you can't be telling me that you're evaluating Wirfs as the top tackle. And then, therefore, you have guys like Matt Lombardo the day before the draft. Matt Lombardo had a tweet that said, Trishan Wirfs is the most pro-ready tackle in this year's draft. I don't believe that. What does that that mean? 
what does that mean? <laughs> because you look because if and you look at just how he plays the game of football, or even if you just look at evaluations, just look at the evaluations, because I know not everybody looks at tape, and that's totally fine. But just look at evaluations. A guy that we're talking about could be a good NFL guard, a great NFL guard. You're going to have the take that he's the most pro-ready tackle. So you want to know what this tells me? This tells me that some of these beat reporters may not know football that well. They're good reporters. They're good journalists. But they may just not know the game of football that well. And that doesn't shock me, but it's kind of disappointing. And one thing you, uh, one point you can make about Thomas, and one point you can make about Wills, they play in bigger colleges. Like Thomas played at Georgia, and Wills played at Alabama, which is bigger than a, a an Iowa college. I mean, Iowa is still important, but Georgia and Alabama are higher. Yeah, and Thomas faced the best competition. That's the thing too. You know, obviously, you mentioned that you know playing in the SEC, you are you're playing in the most competitive conference in, co- in collegiate football. But also, he faced Calavion uh, Chasen, Calavion Chasen from LSU, edge rusher who who was the second edge rusher taken off of this off of this board, and he dominated, dominated, dominated. I don't understand why this is such a this is such up for debate in the NFL world. Where who who won that matchup? That Georgia LSU uh, matchup between Thomas and Jason? It's not up for debate. Thomas dominated him, and then also Thomas also went up against uh, Okora, Julian Okora from Notre Dame, who was also a pretty uh, pretty darn good edge rusher. He might have argued, you can make an argument that he was the third or the fourth best edge rusher in this draft. And Thomas had a pretty darn good game against him too. So he's gone up against the best competition. And I made uh, I made a compilation of all of the games that all of the Giants draft picks have started today. I made that tweet today because I'm like, wow, this is a lot of games that they all started. Thomas has started 42 games, 42 games in his three years. Every single game except one. His first year he played right tackle, and then the final two years he played left tackle. Didn't miss a game. 42 games started. So played against the best competition. Played well. And he's played a lot, and he has a lot of experience. Final question: uh, Obviously, we should have a season. Uh, who's your fi- well, not favorite, but who's the most exciting home opponent the Giants face this year for you? For me, it's the Steelers because you know Big Ben is probably going to be his last year, possibly. And my friend, my best friend's a uh, Steeler fan. I'm probably going to go to that game if the season goes well who's your who's the most exciting opponent for you i know bucks would probably be on the list yeah i mean it's it's definitely like in ter- just in terms of the top of my head bucks is bucks is the thing that comes right up to mind because uh, gronk has come back obviously could be it, it will be the last time i will get to watch tom brady and that's always rare because tom brady just has always played in the opposite in the opposite conference so uh you know the the chances are you would only be able to see him once every four years and the last time that i saw brady um we had have we had we did have a home game in 2015 that was a heartbreaking loss oh, heartbreaking yeah. loss we had against tom brady uh in new england in 20 like that 2015 team that was nobody's business they had competing with anybody but they held them tough uh, they held them tough there but even before that i was at the 2007 game week 17 um where they basically kind of turned around their whole season that game and it inspired them to a Super Bowl victory for that 07 season. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to Brady, but always the divisional games, man. Always the divisional yeah. games. Dallas Cowboys. I, I always look forward to the Cowboys every single year. They're the team that bugs me the most. Um, you know, I've seen some classic matchups. I've been a I've been a regular season ticket holder since. I want to say a. Uh, they won the Super Bowl, so it was 2008, and going to a Cowboys game every year it, it, it breaks your heart. But also, you can get so excited, you know, when it, when a team when a team's able to put together a, a good win against Tony Romo, or how many times where where we have seen Tony Romo absolutely break our hearts. Um, so I always look forward to the Cowboy game. But Tampa Bay Bucks is going to be one of those games that I absolutely cannot miss, simply because Tom Brady. It's going to be the last time we'll be able to see him. So now. Um... Something I also just thought about, I was, you know, present to us is obviously having primetime games. I kind of was upset last year because we didn't get a Sunday night football game. We got two Monday night football games. I was kind of upset last year. 
There's nothing like Sunday night football. There's there's just not, it doesn't it just have a different feel to it? Yeah. Like just the the quality of football games that are played on Sunday night for whatever reason. And I know ESPN and NFL Network, you know, uh, and, and CBS, whoever shows Thursday night football, they know it. They they know it. There's just a different feel to Sunday night. I think that used to be Monday night. I think I think Monday night football has more of like this historical importance. I don't know. We're both very young, so we wouldn't know. But Sunday night football, that's like what we grew up on. You know, the Giants, Cowboys, they're playing Sunday night, week one. You know, clear clear everything off. They're in Jerry World, and they're playing on Sunday night football. Um, so I do kind of miss it now as a content creator and as a person who creates who uh, who records episodes every after every Giants game. I kind of like that there wasn't that there wasn't a lot of primetime games, but nothing does beat Sunday Night Football when you get a, a, a Carrie Underwood or Faith, I remember Faith Hill when they would sing uh, Joan Jett's uh, "I Hate Myself for Loving You," except they would say, "I've been waiting all day for Sunday Night." So there's nothing like it, man. Justin, I appreciate having you on. No problem. This was a lot of fun. This, this was, was a lot of fun. Uh, Alex, thank you for having me on. Um, hope to be on again. I would definitely love that too. Thank you for coming on. So that was the co-host of Talking Giants, Justin Pettick. He does it with Bobby Skinner every Tuesday and every Friday. Their podcasts are available on iTunes. And that's going to wrap up today's episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our videos, and our podcast is also available on Spotify and Podbean. If you haven't already, check out yesterday's video, which is about my first impression and my first thoughts on the 2020 New York Giants draft class. On Wednesday, we're going to be having former Giants defensive tackle Stacey Dillard, and we're going to see his thoughts on the Giants. This is Alex Gavish-Potis signing off. See you later, everyone, and have a good day.